time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, September 20th, 2021. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, as well as all the community that we already have. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment to you is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. As you regular listeners know, the first half of the podcast is dedicated to covering a lot of issues going on in the industry. And then we dedicate the Hot Topic segment to what is going on. And I am very excited about the Hot Topic segment today. You guys are in for a treat. We have back on the microphone. Taylor Stork, he's a CMB, Certified Mortgage Banker, and then he is also the Chief Operating Officer at Developers Mortgage. We're going to be discussing a lot and focusing on servicing regulations, the mortgage environment, changes in the post-COVID world. So glad to have Taylor Stork joining us, and then we have another added surprise. Joining me on live on the microphone is Jack Nunnery, the past president of the Texas Capital Bank, and he just retired He's looking for something to do, so I invited him in today on this topic. Here's why. Because he, like Taylor, has a passion for our industry and has a strong, passionate opinion about many things going on in the industry. He couldn't talk about it when he was president of Texas Capital Bank because he's a banker. He works for a bank and all the different things that he has to avoid. But he's retired. He's coming out, so to speak, and joining us in the interview. And hopefully, maybe, just maybe, we might see a lot more of Jack in the future. But anyway, we're getting started with this interview in the Hot Topic segment. Hey, make sure to get over to industrysyndicate.com. Listen to all the podcasts that are there. Great group of podcasts. Also, I'm joining up with Josh Pitts. Going to be working with him on another podcast. Very exciting things that are going on. The world of podcasting is growing, exploding. I was just looking at some recent statistics on podcasting. Folks, it's here. It's real. It's happening in a big, big way. That's why we have the sponsors we do, and we carefully select our sponsors. We have the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. We also have the Finastra Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, Marketing Experience, and the Power of Fully Integrated Approach to the Mortgage Lending that simplifies the mortgage borrowing experience and streamlines the process for the employees. It's a great system, a wonderful tool, and they've been sponsors for so many, many years. And I'm just excited to share with you. Not only that, it's the thought leadership that they bring to the mortgage technology world. They're the third largest fintech company. And I said that the other day, and they go, I think we're now number two. We're thrilled to have Finastra as a sponsor. Also, Lenders One, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. Both of these collaboratives are great ways for you to connect with your peers in a setting. You should have heard our guest, Taylor Stork, at the Lenders One conference. I sat in the audience and listened to him just just absolutely rant on several issues. I go, God, I got to have him back. So that's why he's here today. And I think he too may become one of those voices you'll hear regularly on the podcast because I love intelligent rants. We're going to get some of that. But when you go to these conferences, belong to one of these co-ops, you get a lot of great information. You're not going to get through the MBA through that. That is not to say you should join one of these in replace of the MBA. You should become a member of the MBA. 
You may not agree with everything they do and all the different positions they take. However, they are instrumental. We need to have one voice that goes in and on the hill for us. And then support those or allow your differences to be heard through the Lenders One as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. There's also another one out there, Community Mortgage Lenders of America. We're also pleased to have them as a sponsor. But when you're looking at technology, be sure to check out Incelerate. Josh Friend just did a really good webinar. I'm going to make sure for those of you that want to get a copy of the webinar that you missed last week, I believe it was last Thursday, it was good. Some of the statistics that go into Consumer Direct and the importance of how you connect with people was brought out in that podcast. Contact me and I'll make sure you get a link to that or contact Josh Friend over at Accelerate by going to their website. Also, Knowledge Coop, really pleased with the learning management system that Ken Perry and the team has built as well as Mobility MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, and Modex. Both of these companies do a great job of helping lenders connect with the right LOs with empirical data, really what's going on in the space. And finally, our newest sponsor, SnapDocs. Love these guys and what they're doing. Be sure to check out last week's interview. It was excellent and focused in on SnapDocs. And again, thank you to everyone at SnapDocs, especially Amy Moses for their support of our podcast. And also special thank you goes out to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and joining us today, where that special thank goes out to Jack Nunnery. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute and hear what Rob Van Raphorst has recorded for us as an update from the MBA. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Treasury and FHFA announced that they are suspending certain limits on business activities of the GSEs. Specifically, this suspension removes artificial limits on GSE acquisitions of loans secured by second homes and investment properties, loans with multiple risk factors, and lenders' use of the cash windows. Multifamily lending volume caps were also eliminated. This announcement follows ongoing MBA engagement with Treasury and FHFA, including an MBA-led coalition letter highlighting the concerns with these limits shortly before they were suspended. And according to MBA's latest forbearance and call volume survey, the number of loans now in forbearance has decreased to 3% with an estimated 1.5 million homeowners in forbearance plans. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Rob. Appreciate our partnership with the MBA and their support of the podcast, supporting what we're doing. But we're more excited about supporting everything that they're doing. If you want to see what's going on, the legislative content that is going up into the Hill where they're commenting, be sure to download the Mortgage Accident Alliance app. You can do so in any of the app store and with your iPhone. And be sure to download and have your voice heard. If we are not having our voices heard, we can't complain about the regulation if you're not voting. And if you're not using these kind of technology, the MBA is doing a great job. Very pleased to have them, and we love them. Love what they're doing up there. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it very much. Now let's get over to our good friend, Les Parker. And uh, by the way, Les's soundbite, how he always is working on the music. Well, today he did a really great job from the MBA convention. We have the, the concert every year. Well, this segment is from One Republic, so he's pulling some music out of the what One Republic. And that's the group that's performing at the MBA. And so be sure to get signed up. I didn't say this earlier for the MBA because Les is going to be there and joining us in our host space. So you can come on over and get to know us. But be sure to make sure you're signed up. Get a chance to see Les Parker. He'll be there at least for part of the conference. 
We're excited about this. So, Les Parker of TM Spotlight, what do you have for us this week? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Who sees this like, like a swinging vine? Swing their heart across the line and get out now is flashing sign. Seek it out and ye shall find. Listen to the bulls counting stars. One, equity and treasuries watch trades reappointment star rise. Two, cooling CPI gives the market room to wait for the Fed to taper. Three, the dollar supports investing in stocks and bonds. Mortgage bankers don't need to count stars since they remain sound asleep. With margins shrinking and modifications rising, when will they get out of the business? When they stop counting dollars, they'll be, they'll be counting stars. These views are my own. Count stars at tmspotlight.com. That's good. Parker, you did awesome. You and Gary Kent are putting that little piece together. Excellent. And a great way to promote the conference. Again, I'm registered. We're going to have our special space so you can come over and get to know us and see us. I'll also be having my podcast equipment set up at the Empower event. Yep, I'm one of the guys that gets invited to Empower every year because we support that organization. We support what Marsha Davies and the group there at Empower within the NBA is doing. So uh, very, very exciting. Good job. Anyway, Matt Graham founder of, of, of MDS Live and CEO. Matt Graham is here with a pre-recorded message. He's busy and couldn't make it, but he did get time to send us in an update on the market. So Matt, what you have for us, friend? This is Matt Graham with the MBS Live market update. Last week was an interesting one for the bond market and for the mortgage market specifically for a few different reasons. It began with a big rally following Tuesday's CPI data, consumer price index. That was seen coming in slightly lower than the previous reading, but the actual reading was even lower than that, 4.0% at the core level versus a forecast calling for a 4.2% inflation increase. Those are huge numbers historically, but they are now declining after being in an accelerating trend for several months. So this could be the turning point in inflationary pressures that have some bond hawks worried. We'll see how that goes in upcoming inflation reports, but if that trend continues, it's good for the bond market, all other things being equal. And in this case, the modest miss was all it took for bonds to rally somewhat significantly with 10-year yields dropping to the lowest levels in several weeks, down around 1.26. In the week's other economic data, retail sales on Thursday was probably the most significant development. It came out much stronger than expected at 0.7 versus a forecast of negative 0.8. That added to a negative momentum in the bond market that had really been intact ever since that CPI data came out. Bonds began pushing back in the other direction. And it's tough to say if there were organic reasons for that or if the market was simply following the prevailing consolidation pattern that's been intact since early August. For these purposes, consolidation means we have higher lows and lower highs, all of the things being equal. In this case, it is actually a flat line resting over the highs. And that line in terms of 10-year yields is at 1.37 to 1.38. That level became significant at the end of the week with yields testing it, trying to break up and out of that 1.3738 ceiling and ultimately failing and calming down just a little bit on Friday afternoon. Really, it sort of fizzled sideways after testing the highs early in the morning. One notable feature about that 
sell-off on Friday was that stocks were selling off as well. That's the type of behavior we often see when the overall financial market is preparing for Fed information, whether it's a Fed announcement, a speech from a key Fed member, usually Powell, and when the topic of accommodation is on the table or quantitative easing, bond buying, that is relevant because coming up in the week ahead, we do have the Fed on Wednesday afternoon. It's a pretty big announcement. We're not expecting that they announce tapering. That would be a really big long shot in this case, but they may change the verbiage in such a way that makes tapering seem more imminent. Powell may say something about it in the press conference. And we also need to keep in mind that this is one of the four meetings per year where the Fed updates their economic projections. If you've heard of the dot plot, that's when the dots are released. That is uh, the Fed members' way of forecasting where they see the Fed funds rate at various points in the future. And even though Fed Chair Powell persistently says, hey, this is an imperfect tool, it doesn't really have huge predictive value, and it shouldn't move markets, markets nonetheless have a history of reacting to that almost every time and in a much bigger way than they react to other Fed meetings. In terms of non-economic data from last week, the most interesting development was the announcement from FHFA and Treasury that they were collectively rolling back the PSPA changes made in early 2021. Uh, what the heck does all that mean? PSPAs are the preferred stock purchase agreements, and that is the way that Treasury oversees or Treasury and FHA oversee the bailout or the conservatorship of Fannie and Freddie. That's the way that Calabria tried to sort of lock in his legacy before he left office and as the FHFA director, and he was attempting to make the path toward privatization of the GSEs harder to undo by the inbound administration. Why wasn't Calabria let go right when Biden took office? Because it wasn't yet clear that he could be fired until a Supreme Court decision later in the year finally made that a reality. That delay ended up being very important and causing a lot of drama for mortgage pricing because Fannie and Freddie weren't exactly eager to implement it because they knew that Calabria was probably on the way out, but they had to wait for the Supreme Court ruling. And at a certain point, they couldn't really wait any longer. And that's when they began to make calls to lenders saying, hey, you, if you send us more than 7% uh, non-owner occupied and second home loans, we can't take them. And lenders rushed to increase their fees and their overlays on those types of loans, causing big pricing drama and quick overnight changes, oftentimes with uh, no warning. So to recap, Treasury and FHFA changed PSPAs, resulting in Fannie and Freddie telling lenders that they basically had to raise fees for those loans. And now with those PSPA changes being rescinded for at least a year, lenders have the latitude to unwind those price changes. And many of them have already done so. Others will be doing so most likely. The strategies will vary in that regard. It could happen in bits and pieces, but it is good news for clients who had gotten those loans who are potentially now in a position to refi or clients that had held off on getting those loans because the price was prohibitive. So changes in the wind on seconds to non-owners. As far as the week ahead in terms of economic data, builder confidence is already out slightly higher than expected this time, 76 versus 74. On Tuesday, we have construction numbers, housing starts and building permits both seen roughly flat and in line with the last 
at reading. Wednesday brings existing home sales, seen declining just a bit, but still at strong levels at 5.89 million versus nearly 6 million last time. And then on Friday, new home sales are seen rising just a hair from the previous reading, coming in at 715,000 versus 708 last time. But of course, the main event is Wednesday afternoon's Fed announcement, press conference, and the release of the economic projections, aka the dot plot. And that will be when we expect to see the biggest move of the week, Wednesday afternoon and then Thursday morning. Last but not least, Evergrande. What's that? Chinese real estate development company, the second biggest there, and a big constituent in offshore uh, Chinese equities markets, which have tanked overnight, and there is buzz about global systemic issues relating to Evergrande because uh, they owe a lot of people money and they're not going to be able to pay it back. And this is a topic that the bond market is discussing, but it is not necessarily a, a Lehman Brothers moment for the global financial market, best people can tell right now. It is definitely the topic of the day and uh, something that we'll be keeping an eye on on MBS Live from here on out. As always, keep in mind that Lickin' on Lending listeners get the extended free trial, no credit card requirement on mbslive.net by entering in the code LOL in the sign-up screen. That's all for now. We'll be back with you on Monday to break down the market reaction to the Fed announcement, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Appreciate it, Matt. You uh, recording that? It's always fun to have him on here. So anyway, that's great job. By the way, go sign up for the service. And I turned on Matt's website, got MBS Live up and running here this morning when I first walked in, and I saw the article, the the interview on CNBC, where they're talking about they need to look into the Federal Reserve's ethics related to their personal investing. That got my attention. I went and listened to it. Folks, you got to go listen to that. Now let's move over to Alice Alvey. Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. We love Union Home Mortgage. They let us have her on here. Alice, good to have you here, friend. Thanks, Dave. Well, and actually today I'm going to talk a little bit about the agency. So I'm glad that Matt went into detail about the changes in the PSPA and the removal of the cap, which he talked about, as well as the loan level price adjustment. So hopefully everyone's feeling that relief in the market for second homes and non-owner occupied. So I'm glad that he was able to listen to that. He gave a really great context and background on that one. So what I wanted to focus on today was today is the day that the average middle credit score option in DU goes into effect. Mm. There seems to be a lot of buzz in the industry, and I was thinking a lot about the loans that are actually going to be impacted by this and how loan officers are treating this. Fannie Mae, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, they're a credit score is not, by their definition, an integral part of the risk assessment because DU really pulls its own credit info to ultimately make the decision. They use the credit score to ensure compliance with the 620 minimum requirement they have. So as they want to try and expand home ownership, so as part of that initiative, they are offering lenders the option to use an average middle credit score. So what that does is if I've got a borrower whose scores are one borrower's middle score is 619 and another borrower's middle score is 693, I would average those two to come up with 656 to be able to say, okay, the loan meets Fannie's minimum 620 requirement. What ultimately that means is this borrower with the 619 middle score, who you normally may have had to say, I have to leave you off the loan. 
you're now going to be able to talk to that co-borrower and say, I can leave you on the loan. In a lot of cases, though, there are going to be price hits for that choice to leave that borrower on because it doesn't change pricing. This is only going to help influence some of the main criteria for eligibility. Representative scores don't go away for pricing. Mm -hmm. They don't go away for most of the MI companies. ArchMI, I have heard, is on board. I apologize for any other MI company that may be on board, and I'm not saying their name, but please, everybody check with your MI companies to see who's on board. And I think, though, the challenge is going to be that conversation with borrowers to say, I can leave you on the loan. If I don't need your income, then it's a choice. However, if I leave you on, your pricing is going to be X. If you're not on the loan, your pricing is Y. So you'll have some challenges you'll have to walk through, making sure those conversations are held fairly and in compliance with all the regulations on how that's represented to the customer. Certainly for the times where you need that borrower on the loan with income, because you need their income on the loan, then this can help deals work that may not have otherwise gone conventional. So really people are looking at this as a play of, well, I have fewer loans that have to go to FHA and I'll be able to offer the borrower a conventional. Every lender is going to be different as to how much this impacts their customer base. So as a lender, we have to choose, are we all in and we're going to use the average credit score on all our loans or I don't use it at all. It isn't really a pick and choose. Hey, it works great for this loan, but I don't need it on this other loan kind of thing. It really is a you choose, and then that'll be the method that you use as a company. So it's a lot of buzz today. I think a lot of companies are playing with the numbers. Mathematically, you can have a one borrower with a score mm-hmm. in the very low 500s middle score, and your other borrower could be in the mid 700s, and now that average really works to bring that middle 500 back up. So people are playing around with their deals today, Dave, to see what's going to work and what's not with the new Fannie Mae DU average credit score. What is this telling you? Is this going to open the credit box a bit more? It would seem that it's going to. Yeah, I think it it will open it a little bit to including a borrower on a loan who might otherwise have been left off. Now, Mm -hmm. statistically, having two borrowers on a loan for most lenders in their risk profile means I've got a better chance in collection, right? It's easier to work with two people than one. So from a risk analysis standpoint, that's an important factor. If I had a husband and wife and I was going to have to leave one of them off, they're still living in the house together. It's still the same finance bucket, right? So Why not have the other person on the loan to help manage that risk and servicing a little bit better? Others are not so sure and maybe looking at it differently. So my gut is it's great. Let's let the other person be on the loan because it usually means a little slightly lower risk again in some customer profiles. Very good. Excellent. Alice, though, appreciate you being here, Alice, each and every week. And I know you got to run today, but have a great rest of the week. Great. Bill, Al, and the whole team there at Union Home, and uh, how much we respect them, appreciate them for you being allowing you to break away each week to be a part of the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they're a terrific team to work with. And I think I will say we'll watch this this week, and I'll talk more about it next week to see what's really happening in the market as it unfolds. So thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Alan Pollock's here, another popular segment that we run each week with a tech update. Alan, good to have you here, friend. Great to be here as always. I do have a great topic. I know it's something that makes everyone want to scratch the itch, which is Inbox Zero. 
So, David, how do you handle inbox zero today? That's a fantasy. Inbox zero is fantasy. <laughs> right. There is no way. That's exactly right. Well, it is impossible. We probably all Googled it, searched it, read articles. Every major newspaper or news outlet online has talked about it. It is really tough. Maybe I have solved everyone's woes. So inbox zero could be as simple as, and I've read this article, by the way, on Zapier, because again, I was trying to figure out how to get to inbox zero. And there are companies that you can hire that will go through your emails. But in this kind of business, it's hard to do that. It's kind of like email personal assistant because we have such sensitive information and they're not part of your organization. But you can create a folder calling internal emails. You can create another folder called external emails and use Mm -hmm. rules and just simply sniff out all of the emails that are from your internal teams into that folder and then everything else to the other folder taking a baby step, doing just that. So I did it this morning and my Uh inbox is left with all the stuff in the middle and my internal email box is now segmented from my other. We'll see how long it lasts, but I'll report back next week. How's that? What they basically said, by the way, in the article is by trying to achieve inbox zero, if you were to just filter out a couple things or you only prioritize a few things, you're never going to reach the goal you got to filter out everything. So yeah. uh, I'll report back next week. If I ever see my inbox at a zero, I got hacked and someone went and did a dastardly deed and deleting everything. And that would be <laughs> devastating. Anyway, moving on. We should create the inbox zero malware bug and send it out. And everyone yeah. will take the day off. It'll be great. So anyways, TechCrunch, they just announced for anyone that follows TechCrunch Battlefield, it's a $100,000 equity fee prize money. If you win, there's only a 1.5% acceptance rate. The 20 startups that are going to be in the battlefield were just announced today, and it goes from lithium batteries to chemical recycling to smart media, even to sub-Saharan African fintech and cultured meat production. So where am I going with all that? If you follow it and you like fintech and unicorn type companies and all that great stuff, you want to check it out. Many, many years ago, I think it was 2016 or 2017, Matic Insurance, and I think they were a winner of the TechCrunch Battlefield. So that's why I bring it up. They do sometimes have fintech mortgage-related companies in there. David, we talk about home buyers, right? We talk about how to cultivate the right design for them. There's even... Uh, designing digital banking experiences that put people first. I'm going to read the subject of this and then tell you about NerdWallet. So it says, purposefully designing digital experiences to fit existing banking processes and platforms makes sense from a technology perspective, but not from a people perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not putting people first. We're putting technology and how we like to innovate and see something work first. And it was very interesting because I saw that And then I saw this from NerdWallet, 67% of homeowners who have bought a home in the last five years have regrets about their purchase. The new survey they did, get that, 67%. So they polled 2,063 people, 450 had purchased a home in the last five years. And the the most common theme that they found was borrowers suggested a win-at-all-cost attitude coupled with the 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 low, low, low inventory and the amount of bidding wars that went on for each home. And that's why there's this regret. It also found that 15% of buyers said the home ended up being too small. 10% said the commute was too long. 15% the mortgage payment was too high. And 16% underestimated the total cost of ownership. If you look at just two items, right? 15% said the mortgage payment was too high. 
and 16% underestimate the total cost of ownership, right? That's over 30%, 31% of the people in that survey that we could have changed from our perspective of how this industry works. We could have changed our expectations or helped them be in a better situation. So putting people first and as you design and think of technology, it's so important. Uh, remember, we're never going to be able to remove loan officers. It's the human touch that helps get homeowners to that position. So it's all just so, so important. A couple yeah. other little things in the news here, David. Be Smarty yeah. offers lenders a best-in-class closing experience with, guess who? SnapDocs, one of our new sponsors mm-hmm. and a uh, good friend of the program now. And second is Stuart Title has acquired informative research for $192 million. Yeah. I couldn't believe so, that. Fortunately, I know Sean, Sean who's yeah. you know, the third generation owner of the company, and, and that they were proud in the fact that it was a family-held company for three generations. And they moved the whole company out of Southern California, Garden Grove, and I think it's where it was at and uh, where it was for decades, and then brought it to Dallas area and then just sold it. Interesting. Yes. Two more Wish. super quick things. Uh, Radian launches blockchain back title offering. They call it Title Genius. Debuted in Florida. It's now available in Arizona, California, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I can't say that backwards. Sorry, and it's saying that it's now blockchain enabled and home buyers used to be a black hole. Now they access this blockchain portal where they can shop and save on title and closing services directly. I'm not really sure how that all works. Maybe it just sits on blockchain. I'll have to look more into it, but I thought that was interesting as we talk about blockchain. And if you remember last week, we talked briefly about build versus buy, and I said I would talk more about it this week. One thing I want to bring up, and I'll give you little tidbits, you have to still do QA, whether you build it or you buy it. QA is absolutely vital. Imagine getting on the phone with a borrower and giving them the wrong information because somebody didn't follow through and verify that what you have worked or didn't work the right way. So whether you build or buy, if you're still on the brink of that decision, quality assurance is the most absolute critical, critical aspect. And the project manager that I mentioned that you have to have, whether you build versus buy, it doesn't matter. You need to have that person shepherd a plan on what you're going to have and what you're going to test. So build versus buy, it's not a simple decision. There's definitely next week we can actually talk about cost comparisons and development teams. But last week we talked about how you still need to have a tech team. And this week I just brought up that QA is still so absolutely important. With that, David, that's this week's tech update. Other than that, I look forward to the hot topics. Yeah. Appreciate you being here, friend. Well, listeners, that wraps up the weekly mortgage updates. If you're listening live, just stay right here. We're going to go right on into our hot topic segment. But if you're listening on a downloaded basis, which probably the vast majority of you do, you're just going to want to move on to the next podcast, which is going to be broken out and set up as a separate episode. So, all right, everybody, that wraps it up. Next week, we're going to have on the podcast, Richard Toma, who is with The Money Source, going to be here with us. I talked to him earlier. It's going to be wonderful interview. You'll enjoy it. Also, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Banastra, CMLA, Mortgage Lenders, Lenders One, as well as Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, Modex, MBA, Knowledge Cube, and the Mortgage Collaborative, and SnapDocs, our newest sponsor. Love them. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Tell others about the podcast. Share this podcast. A lot of great content in here today, and I'll be talking about it on Friday. So come to the Greater Association of Mortgage Lenders in Houston's Friday Luncheon. You'll hear me expound on this even more. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.